0: Book 2, sections 1 through 4 of Against Appian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Tabis. Against Appian by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 2, sections 1 through 4. In the former book, Most Honored, Epaphroditus, I have demonstrated our antiquity, and confirmed the truth of what I have said from the writings of the Phoenicians and the Chaldeans and the Egyptians. I have, moreover, produced many of the Grecian writings as witnesses thereto. I have also made a refutation of Manetho and Cherimon, and of certain others of our enemies. I shall now, one, therefore begin a confutation of the remaining authors who have written anything against us although i confess i have had a doubt upon me about Appian and the griminarian whether i ought to take the trouble of confuting him or not for some of his writings contain much the same accusations which the others have laid against us some things that he has added are very frigid and contemptible and for the greatest part of what he says it is very scurrilous and to speak no more than the plain truth it shows him to be a very unlearned person and what he lays together looks like the work of a man of very bad morals and of one who no better in his whole life than a mountebank yet because there are a great many men so very foolish that they are rather caught by such orations than by what is written with care and take pleasure in reproaching other men and cannot abide to hear them commended i thought it to be necessary not to let this man go off without examination Who had written such an accusation against us as if he would bring us to make an answer in open court for i have also observed that many men are very much delighted when they see a man who first began to reproach another to be himself exposed to the contempt on account of the vices that he himself has been guilty of however it is not a very easy thing to go over this man's discourse nor to know plainly what he means yet he does seem amidst a great confusion and disorder in his falsehoods to produce in the first place such things as resemble what we have examined already and relate to the departure of our forefathers out of egypt and in the second place he accuses those jews that are inhabitants of alexandria as in the third place he mixes with those such things accusations as concern the sacred purifications with the other legal rites used in the temples now although i cannot but think that i have already demonstrated and that abundantly more than was necessary that our fathers were not originally egyptians nor were thence expelled either on account of bodily diseases or any other calamities of that sort yet i will briefly take notice of what appian adds upon the subject for in his third book which relates to the affairs of egypt he speaks thus i have heard of the ancient men of egypt that moses was of Helopolis, and that he thought himself obliged to follow the customs of his forefathers and offered his prayers in the open air toward the city walls but that he reduced them all to be directed toward sun rising which was agreeable to the situation of Helopolis; that he also set up pillars instead of naumens under which was represented a cavity like that of a boat and the shadow that fell from their tops fell down from the cavity that it might go round about the like course as the sun itself goes round in the other this is that wonderful relation which we have given us by this grammarian. But that it is a false one is so plain that it stands in need of few words to prove it, but it is manifest from the works of Moses. For when he erected the first tabernacle to God, he did himself neither give order for any such kind of representation to be made at it, nor ordain that those who came after him should make such a one. Moreover, WHEN IN A FUTURE AGE SOLOMON BUILT HIS TEMPLE IN JERUSALEM, HE AVOIDED ALL SUCH NEEDLESS DECORATIONS AS Appian HATH HERE DEVISED. HE SAYS FURTHER HOW HE HAD HEARD OF THE ANCIENT MEN THAT MOSES WAS OF HALAPOLIS. TO BE SURE, THAT WAS BECAUSE BEING A YOUNGER MAN HIMSELF, HE BELIEVED THOSE THAT BY THEIR ELDER AGE WERE ACQUAINTED AND CONVERSED WITH HIM now this grammarian as he was could certainly not tell us which was the poet homer's country no more than he could tell us the country of pythagoras who lived comparatively but a little while ago yet does he thus easily determine the age of moses who preceded them by such a vast number of years depending on his ancient man's relation which shows how notorious a liar he was But then, as to his chronological determination of the time, when he says he brought the leprous people, the blind, and the lame out of Egypt, see how well this most accurate grammarian of ours agrees with those who have written before him. Manetho says that the Jews departed out of Egypt in the reign of Tetmosis, 393 years before Danis fled to Argos. Lysimaeus says it was under King Bacchares, that is, one thousand seven hundred years ago. Molo and some others determined it as every one pleased. But this Appian of ours, as deserving to be believed before them, hath determined it exactly to be in the seventh Olympiad and the first year of that Olympiad in the very same year in which he says that carthage was built by the phoenicians the reason why he added this building of carthage was to be sure in order as he thought to strengthen his assertion by so evident a character of chronology but he was not aware that this character confutes his assertion For if we may give credit to the Phoenician records as to the time of the first coming of their colony to Carthage, they relate that Hiram, their king, was above a hundred and fifty years earlier than the building of Carthage, concerning whom I have formerly produced testimonials out of those Phoenician records, as also that this Hiram was a friend of Solomon when he was building the temple of Jerusalem, and gave him great assistance in his building that temple, while still Solomon himself built that temple six hundred and twelve years after the Jews came out of Egypt. As for the number of those that were expelled out of Egypt, he hath contrived to have the same number with Lysimaeus, and says that they were a hundred and ten thousand. He then assigns a certain wonderful and plausible occasion for the name of Sabbath, for he says, WHEN THE JEWS HAD TRAVELED A SIX DAY'S JOURNEY, THEY HAD BOOBOOS ON THEIR GROINS, THAT ON THIS ACCOUNT IT WAS THAT THEY RESTED ON THE SEVENTH DAY, HAVING GOT SAFELY TO THAT COUNTRY WHICH IS NOW CALLED JUDEA, AND THAT THEY PRESERVED THE LANGUAGE OF THE EGYPTIANS, AND THEY CALLED THAT DAY THE SABBATH, FOR THAT MALADY OF boo-boos ON THEIR groin WAS NAMED SABATOSIS BY THE EGYPTIANS. And would not a man now laugh at this fellow's trifling, or rather hate his impudence in writing thus? We must, it seems, take it for granted that all these hundred and ten thousand men must have had these boo-boos. But for certain, if those men had been blind and lame, and had all sorts of distempers upon them, as Appian says they did, they could not have gone but a single day's journey but if they had all been able to travel over a large desert and besides that to fight and conquer those that opposed them they had not all of them boo-boos on their groins after the sixth day was over for no such distemper comes naturally and of necessity upon those who travel but still when there are many ten thousands in a camp together they constantly march in a settled space in a day nor is it at all probable that such a thing would happen by chance This would be prodigiously absurd to be supposed. However, our admirable author Appian hath before told us that they came to Judea in six days' time, and again that Moses went up to a mountain that lay between Egypt and Arabia, which was called Sinai, and that was concealed there forty days, and that when he came down from thence he gave laws to the Jews. But then, how was it possible for them to tarry forty days in a desert place, where there was no water, and at the same time to pass all over the country between that and Judea, in six days? As for this grammatical translation of the word Sabbath, it either contains an instance of great impudence or gross ignorance, for the words sabbo and sabbath are widely different from one another. For the word sabbath in the Jewish language denotes rest from all sorts of work. But the word sabbo, as he affirms, denotes among the Egyptians the malady of a booboo on the groin. This is that novel account which the Egyptian Appian gives us concerning the Jews' departure out of Egypt, and it is no better than a contrivance of his own. But why should we wonder at the lies he tells about our forefathers when he affirms them to be of Egyptian original, when he lies also about himself, for although he was born at Oasis in Egypt, he pretends to be, as a man may say, the top man of all the Egyptians yet does he forswear his real country and progenitors and by falsely pretending to be born at alexandria cannot deny the pravity of his family for you see how justly he calls those egyptians whom he hates and endeavours to reproach for had he not deemed egyptians to be a name of great reproach he would not have avoided the name of an egyptian himself As we know that those who brag on their own countries value themselves upon the denomination they acquire thereby, and reprove such as unjustly lay claim thereto. As for the Egyptians' claim to be our kindred, they do it on one of the following accounts. I mean, either as they value themselves upon it, and pretend to bear their relation to us, or else they would draw us in to be partakers of their own infamy but this fine fellow appian seems to broach this reproachful appellation against us that we were originally egyptians in order to bestow it on the alexandrians as a reward for the privilege they had given him of being a fellow-citizen with them he is also apprised of the ill-will of the alexandrians bear witness to those jews who are their fellow-citizens and so proposes to himself to reproach them although he must thereby include all the other egyptians also while in both cases he is no better than an impudent liar four but let us now see what those heavy and wicked crimes are which appian charges upon the alexandrian jews they came says he out of syria and inhabited near the tempestuous sea, and were in the neighborhood of the dashing of the waves. Now, if the place of habitation includes anything that is reproached, this man reproaches not his own real country, Egypt, but what he pretends to be his own country, Alexandria. For all are agreed in this, that the part of that city which is near the sea is the best part for all habitation. Now, if the jews gained that part of the city by force and have kept it thereto without impeachment this is a mark of their valour but in reality it was alexander himself that gave them that place for their habitation when they obtained equal privileges there with the macedonians nor call i devise what appian would have said had their habitation been at necropolis And not been fixed hard by the royal palace as it is, nor had their notion had been the denomination of the Macedonians given them to this very day as they have? Had this man now read the epistles of King Alexander, or of those of Ptolemy the son of Lagus, or met with the writings of the succeeding kings? or that pillar which is still standing in alexandria and contains the privileges which the great julius caesar bestowed upon the jews had this man i say known these records and yet hath the impudence to write in contradiction to them he hath shown himself to be a wicked man but if he knew nothing of these records he hath shown himself to be a man very ignorant Nay when lie appears to wonder how jews could be called alexandrians this is another like instance of his ignorance for all such as are called out to be colonies although they be ever so far remote from one another in their original receive their names from those that bring them to their new habitations and what occasion is there to speak of others when those of us jews that dwell in antioch are named antiochans because seleucus the founder of that city gave them the privileges of belonging thereto after the like manner do those jews that inhabit ephesus and the other cities of ionia enjoy the same name with those that originally were born there and by the grant of the succeeding princes Nay, the kindness and humanity of the Romans has been so great that it has granted leave to almost all others to take the same name of Romans upon them, I mean, not particular men only, but entire and large nations themselves, for those anciently named Iberi, or Tyreni, and Sabini are now called Romani. And if Appian reject this way of obtaining the privilege of a citizen of Alexandria, let him abstain from calling himself an Alexandrian hereafter. For otherwise, how can he who is born in the very heart of Egypt be an Alexandrian, if this way of accepting such a privilege, of which he would have us deprived, be once abrogated, Although, indeed, these Romans, who are now the lords of the habitable earth, have forbidden the Egyptians to have the privileges of any city whatsoever, while this fine fellow, who is willing to partake of such a privilege himself, as he is forbidden to make use of, endeavors by calumnies to deprive those that of it have justly received it. For Alexander did not, therefore, get some of our nation to Alexandria, because he wanted inhabitants for his city, on whose building he had bestowed so much pains. But this was given to our people as a reward, because he had, on careful trial, found them all to be men of virtue and fidelity to him. For as Hecatus says concerning us, Alexander... "'honored our nation to such a degree "'that for the equity and the fidelity "'of the Jews exhibited to him "'he permitted them to hold the country "'of Samaria free from tribute. "'Of the same mind was also Ptolemy the son of Lagas, "'as those Jews who dwelt at Alexandria. "'For he entrusted the fortress of Egypt "'into their hands, "'and believing they would keep them "'faithfully and valiantly for him.' when he was desirous to secure the government of cyrene and the other cities of libya to himself he sent a party of jews to inhabit them and for his successor ptolemy who was called philadelphus he did not only set all those of our nation free who were captives under him but did frequently give money for their ransom and was his greatest work of all he had a great desire of knowing our laws and obtaining the books of our sacred scriptures accordingly he desired that such men might be sent him as might interpret our law to him in order to have them well complied he committed that care to no ordinary persons but named demetrius phalaris and Andreas, and artisus the first demetrius the most learned person of his age and the others as were entrusted with guard of his body should take care with this matter nor would he certainly have been so desirous of learning our law and the philosophy of our nation had he despised the men that made use of it or had he not indeed had them in great admiration end of sections 1 through 4